0: tension all cars. Be on the lookout for a well-dressed young man, about 25 years of age, medium height, weighed about 140 pounds, and brown hair, brown eyes, ruddy complexion, slight accent, more for passing worthless checks. That's all. Rolls and Women. The exciting and hazardous duties of your police and fire departments demand that the automotive equipment they use deliver sparkling, dependable performance. When life or death may be a matter of seconds, their gasoline must be good. Instant starting, unlimited power, quick getaway night and day. That's why so many police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment are powered by Rio Grande cracked gasoline. Remember, this gasoline is exactly the same as that which you can buy at any Rio Grande service station. Also, cracked gasoline has 10 points average higher anti-knock rating than gasolines which are not cracked. If you are now a user of Rio Grande cracked with tetraethyl, then you know what police performance in the gasoline really means. If you are not then try a tank full tomorrow and enjoy the performance required by police and fire departments. Rio Grande Crack is sold at all Rio Grande stations. Tonight, Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department has sent as his personal representative, Captain Burt Wallace, Head of the Homicide Squad, who has a personal message for you. Captain Wallace. Uh, Good evening, friends. It is the desire of Chief of Police James E. Davis to give the citizens enjoying these true police dramas diversified programs. Therefore, tonight, you will hear no machine guns or revolvers. You will, instead, hear of a different type of criminal from the more spectacular enemies of society, who break the law with guns, knives, and nitroglycerin. the law, and although he was a clever scoundrel, he nevertheless was brought to account and made to pay his debt to society. The trail of outrageous impostors, unpaid loans, and bad he left behind him was traced all over Europe and across the United States, repeatedly, repeatedly leading customs and
1: immigration officials in New York,
0: Scotland Yard men in England, and officers of Paris to police who finally came to justice when he bucked up against two officers in our bunker details. But I am getting ahead of the story. It is best for Frederick Lindsley to tell you the big details. Mm-hmm. 1927. Across the till Princeton campus, the light of windows throw swathes of gold on the sparkling white carpet of newly fallen snow. Music is in the air, and the clear laughter of young women tinkles across the quadrangle. It is prom time. From Vassar, from Smith, from Wellesley, and from Park Avenue have come the most beautiful girls in the East. And from Harvard and Yale and Williams have come the coon-coated boys who are fortunate enough to have friends among the Princeton juniors. Among the visitors from other colleges is George Gaber, a Harvard law student, who with his Princeton host, Charlie Wallace, is standing in a secluded part of the ballroom watching the canine tactics of the stag line. The two young men seem to be hugely enjoying their own private little jokes. (laughs) It's a perfect disguise, George. There isn't a person I've introduced you to that doesn't believe you're really a German baron. Never having seen a German baron, how would they know? Of course, that's as monocle, help. Uh, no doubt. You'd go a long way to Germany before you'd find a real baron that war one. Yes, I suppose so. But for Princeton purposes, your monocle your accent and your big title of Baron Alfred von Krupp passes perfectly. You know, as a matter of fact, Charlie, there aren't any von Krupp. Really? Sure. The Krupp, as you know, were famous munitions makers for years and years. Finally, the head of the family died, and there were no male descendants. So Wilhelm II arranged a marriage for a favor of his to the woman who was the head of the House of Krop. and instead of her taking his name, he took her. Well, I'll be done. I never knew <laughs> that. And I thought there was anyone else, I guess. <laughs> the Americans are woefully ignorant of the Almanac de Gautha. The Almanac de Gautha? What's that? Oh, that's the... then well, you might say the who's who of European nobility. Yeah. Well, if there is such a thing, we'd better not go too far with that little joke. Somebody may check up on you. Who? You never even heard of the almanac, And if you didn't, you suppose anyone else here has? Well, maybe not. Uh, Charlie, I'll raise you I can pass as the Baron Alfred Van Krupp any place in this country and get away with it. Oh, no, you oh, couldn't. Sure I could. I can pull this gag to New York and Newport and Miami, any place, and get away with I'll it. I'll bet you couldn't. I know I can. But somebody would be sure to check upon you. Charlie, as I said before, if you'll pardon me... You Americans are dumb. Yeah, but just to say If my... I can't successfully pass the Baron von Krupp for six months, I tell you what I'll do. I'll be your valet for the next six months. Oh, that's too easy, George. I know you can But if I get by with it, you'll be my valet for six months. Okay, George. It's a <laughs> <the> best. <laughs> The success of George Gaber's impersonation is attested by the amount of newspaper space the gullible press gives him during 1927. He is fated by society, wherever it congregates. He makes friends with people in high places. Henry Ford is so taken with the engaging young fellow that he makes him a present of an automobile. George Gaber, alias of Baron von Krupp, is living off the fat of the land and anticipating the services of Charlie as his valet for six months when at a house party on an estate in Delaware, his hostess introduces him to a countryman.
2: Baron, I'd like to present the Councilman Schwarzenegger. Count,
0: this is the Baron von Kraus. It works, Mr. Gernot, you're yeah, to learn. You're yeah, excellent. It is like a sense of respect in English. It's cleverness that you don't give a I beg your pardon, madame so charming to meet a fellow countryman for naturally falls into the mother's cause. <laughs> oh,
2: of course. And I'm sure you two will have much in common. You see, Baron, the Count is in America inspecting our Delaware munitions plant for his government. And Count, of course, you know the Baron's family, the Von Krupp, who made all those guns in the war.
0: The Von Krupp?
2: Oh, yes, of course. You know they made the large Emmas or some gun like that. You know, the one the bomb passed. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, yes. You come from the vine crops of Essen, then, Baron. Uh, yes, uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, Baron. It has been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Madame, you said something about the garden.
2: Oh, oh, yes. Come this way, Count. I want you to see my dahlias. Our Winnie-Williams barrel.
0: Madame, what do you know about this fellow, this barrel? Yes.
2: Why, he has the best of recommendations. What do you mean? He
0: is an imposter.
2: Count, how dare you? He's my guest.
0: I am sorry, madame, to be so brusque. But this fellow is no baron. He cannot be. Why not? Because in all the nobility of Europe, there is no foreign crop. Great heavens, are you sure? Positive, madame.
2: Then well, maybe he's come here to rob me, and he's stolen my jewels. Oh, we must do something, We must catch him. Please,
0: please, quiet. Allow me to handle this matter. There must be no excitement nor disturbance to alarm the guests. I shall call the police and then take the baron for a walk in the garden. When the police arrive, we will transfer him to their automobile, and then you may announce to your guests that the baron has suddenly been called away. And so, you are relieved of a possibly dangerous man, and your face is safe, and no one devised him.
2: Oh, Count, you think of everything.
0: Thus, ignominiously, George Gaber's first impersonation ends in the Newcastle County Workhouse, where he is sentenced to serve nine months. However, after he has been incarcerated three months, immigration authorities deport him as an undesirable alien... Ejected from one country after another, he finally is refused permission to enter his native Hungary on the grounds of having taken out first citizen papers in America. He is no longer entitled to Hungarian citizenship. But this resourceful man without a country manages to procure a birth certificate of a former Harvard classmate. And presenting it to the American consul, with a story that he lost his passport, manages to get another issued to him in the name of his friend. His wager with Charlie Wallace has taught Gaber how easy it is to live without effort. So, equipped with his falsified passport, he journeys to London, where he prepares to get by on a really royal scale. The telephone is his only ally.
2: Embassy of the United States.
0: I wish you speak to the ambassador, please.
2: Who's calling?
0: This is W.C. White of Philadelphia.
2: Just a moment, please. I'm uh, Mr. Widener of Philadelphia calling, sir.
0: Widener of Philadelphia? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'll talk to him. Hello, Mr. Widener. Hello, Mr.
1: Huffman. I've never had the pleasure of making your acquaintance. I presume you know who
0: I am. I certainly have heard of the man who gave that beautiful library to Harvard.
1: Well, that was
0: not. Huh. I didn't know you were in town, sir. I hope I shall have the pleasure of entertaining you at the embassy. Well,
1: unfortunately, Mr. Huffman, I'm only in London for a few hours.
0: For Paris tonight, but there is something. What is that, sir? Well, my nephew Charles, you of Richmond, Virginia, is arriving in England sometime tonight. Uh, if you could, I'll certainly do everything I can to make his stay a pleasant one. I've taken the
1: liberty of telling
0: him to call you when he gets here. Excellent, Mister Weiner. I'll look after him. Thank you, thank you very much. And thank you, sir. Have a good trip. <laughs> That evening, George Gaber registers at the Grosvenor Hotel as Taff 2 and calls the ambassador once more. This is Mr. Horton speaking. Oh,
1: good evening, sir. Uh, this is Taft 2.
0: Oh, yes, Mr. Horton. Your uncle told me you'd be arriving. When did you get in?
1: Oh, about
0: an hour ago. Have a good trip?
1: Excellent.
0: Uh, where are you now?
1: I'm staying at the Grosvenor.
0: At the Grosvenor? Uh, you must be my guest at the embassy. Oh, I couldn't
1: think of
0: it, Mr. Horton. But I insist. I promised your uncle I would look after you. Sir. No objection, young man. I'll call for you in a half hour at your hotel. Very well, sir.
1: I'll
0: be expecting you. And so George Gaber, alias Tassu, becomes the guest of the ambassador to the court of St. James. For 10 days he has faded, as members of the American colony and the elite of British nobility entertain him at garden parties, polo matches, banquets, and dances. Finally, tiring of England, he enters France by leaving the boat attired in the steward's white coat and carrying his own luggage. And within 24 hours, and by the same telephone technique, he is a guest of the American ambassador in Paris. When he leaves the French capital, he is armed with a warm letter of introduction from the ambassador. Disembarking at Halifax, for fear of another brush with immigration authorities in New York, he motors across the Canadian line into Vermont, stopping at Montpelier, where his letter from the ambassador gains him the hospitality of the governor. A trail of bad checks follows him west across the country, but never catches up with him. In Palo Alto, his ambassador letter gets him invited to the Hoover home for luncheon, The list of prominent people who are bunk-coated by this astonishing scapegoat during the next few months would read like a section of who's who. They include governors, university presidents, bankers, politicians, society matrons, army and navy officials. And from each, Gabor manages to wrangle a loan or obtain an endorsement on a bad check. Then he flies the coop without bidding his gullible friends farewell. His junket leads him once more to the west coast, this time to San Diego, where, posing a task to Houghton, son of the ambassador the Great Britain, he is right royally entertained,
1: Assist in the review of the fleet.
0: on the strength of his unimpeachable credentials, and then becoming bored, parts for Los Angeles. The telephone is once more an important piece of his equipment. The manager of an exclusive Los Angeles club receives a call one afternoon. Hello. Is this the manager whom I'm speaking? Yes. I'm Secretary for Mr. Tap Through House, the Solicitor General of the United
1: States. Yes. I want to reserve a suite for Mr. House.
0: An hour later, George calls the manager a second time. to Halton arrives, receives the messages which he has telephoned himself, and is escorted to a luxurious suite by the bowing and scraping manager. Gabriel orders the stenographer, and in the presence of the awestruck struck manager, dictates the letter. Uh, to his honor, Mayor, City Hall, San Diego, California, uh, dear sir. I wish to express my deep gratitude and appreciation for the courtesies you showed me during my stay in your city. Uh, please also convey my personal thanks to the chief of police for the police escort he so thoughtfully provided me during my visit to San Diego. Uh, I look forward, honoured sir, to another visit with you in the very near future. Uh, sincerely. i get that right away now, Simon. Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Halton, how do you like your suite? Uh, huh? Very comfortable, it will do. It is the best we have. Uh, good. Uh, I think I can be very happy here. We'll do everything we can to make your stay a pleasant uh, one. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh. Uh, by the way, i need a car while I'm here. Uh, could you suggest... Your guest card entitles you to the services of the auto-livery next door. The bills are simply added to your account. Uh, very convenient. Yes, sir. Now, can I do anything else for you? No, I think that's all. Yes, sir. Oh, what a nuisance. What's the trouble, sir? <laughs> I believe I've only about $20 with me and... The banks are closed at this hour. I wonder if I'll need any money tonight. Allow me, Mr. Houghton. It'll be quite convenient for me to advance you whatever you need. Uh, About how much shall we say? Oh, a hundred or so, I suppose. If you'll pardon me, I'll go down to the office and get it right away. Ah, Very well. Ah, Now I suppose I'll have to get ready for that silly banquet the mayor's giving for me. Mm the club for several thousand dollars, before polite demands for a payment on account forces him to settle with a bad check and move out. Now compelled to promote the hospitality of newfound friends in Los Angeles, he wangles himself an invitation as a house guest of Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Baldwin. When he leaves their home, he also leaves a rubber check for $50, which Mrs. Baldwin has endorsed for him. Mr. Baldwin, furious, reports the matter to the police. And officers Mouth and Williams at the Bunco Detail interview Mr. Baldwin at his home. You know, Mr. Baldwin, you're not the first one that's been caught to this. Houghton, or whatever his name is, he's a pretty slippery customer. No doubt. But I'm here to tell you I'll stop at nothing to see that fellow behind prison bars. It just burns me up to think how we fell for that story of his that he was trying to escape being served with divorce papers then after he eats our food and sleeps in our bed, he takes us for $50. I want him put in jail. And so do a lot of other people. Well, have you any idea of wealthy you in town? No, I haven't, but he spent a lot, of, a lot of his time at the phone. Always spoke of his deals with his broker and the president of one bank or the vice president of another. or spent a lot of time at the phone, eh? Yep. Yeah. Where is the phone? Over there, not alcohol. Mind if I take a look at it? Oh, go ahead. Uh, whose number is Gladstone 1551, Mr. Baldwin? I don't know. Why? It's written down here on the wall. Written on the wall? Well, if it's written on the wall, like pig did it. Mrs. Baldwin or I wouldn't think of writing on the wall. Well, let's play a little game and find out whose number this is. What are you going to do? Get some information from someone, I hope. Listen. Hello? Uh, Gladstone, uh, 1551? Yes. Uh, let me speak to Mr. Harmon, please. Mr. Harmon? You must have the wrong number. Is this Gladstone, 1551? Yes, but there's only... Well, uh, Mr. Harmon must be there. He gave me that number. There must be some mistake. This is Warren's residence. What is your address, please? Uh, possibly I am mistaken. This is 5755 Tuxedo Drive, but there's no Mr. Harmon here. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I must have the wrong number. Get anything? <laughs> yeah. It was a cinch. The kid that answered the phone told me all I wanted to know. Warren's residence. At 5755 Tuxedo Drive. All right, let's get out there right away. Jack Warren Jr., what can I do for you? Are you acquainted with a man named Houghton? Oh, am I? I will say I am. Why, are you a policeman? That's right, buddy. Well, I was wondering when you'd catch up with him. What do you mean? Well, come on in and sit down. I suppose you want to ask me questions about him. Yeah, we do. Well, all right, come on in. Sit down over there anywhere on the Davenport. Smoke? Yes. Yeah. Hey. Well, what do you want to know? How long have you known Houghton? Just a couple of weeks. And that's two weeks too long. You know what he did? No, but we want to. Well, he got me to go to my dad's bank and endorse a $100 traveler's check for him. The next day they called up dad and told him the check was a stolen one. I'm not surprised. He's got quite a habit that way. Do you know where he is now? No, but he keeps calling me up and promising to meet me somewhere. But he never shows up. He's liable to call me any time. Good. He'll wait until he does, if you don't mind. Well, not at all. You know, I think there's something funny about the guy. Dad thought so from the first, and after he pulled that check business, I agreed with him. I can't understand, Taft. Why, just the other day he called me up and said he'd left something for me at the Richley Hotel. And I dropped by for it. It was a swell-fitted bag from Bullock's. A fitted bag from Bullock's, eh? Add Bullock's to the list of victims. Well, what do you mean? You don't think he stole it, do you? Oh no, no, not this, bird. He wouldn't do anything so crude. He just charged it, but he'll never pay for it. Oh, gee, I don't want the darn thing of its stolen property. I'll give it back to you. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's him now. If it is, call him and give us a chance to hear his voice. Okay. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Taft. Hello, Taft. Where have you been? Oh, I'm so sorry, Jack. I've been very busy. Tied up with the person of the bank all morning. Well, where are you now? Oh, I'm at the hotel, but I'm leaving right away. I'm due down at Santa Monica for the polar game this very minute. I'm going to stop by. Well, uh, look, Taff, uh, why don't you stop by on your way out to the beach? i got something I want to ask you advice about.
1: Well,
0: I'll try to. But Don't wait too long for me. I've got to go now. So long. Goodbye, Taff. Hey, give me that phone. Operator. Operator. Please, that Call. Police Officer Williams, badge 238, speaking from Gladstone 1551.
2: Just one moment, please. I will try to
0: trace it for you. I care, partner. You stay here with Jack in case this bird comes by, although I doubt if he will. Now get over to the place he's calling from just as soon as...
2: Hello? Yes? The call came from the Richley Hotel. Uh, thank you.
0: Richley Hotel, eh? I'm going right over there. In the meantime, partner, you call them and tell them to Jane... In the meantime, partner, you call them and tell them to Jane, Mr. Houghton, until I get there. On the Crocker National Bank of San Francisco. Oh, I thought so. Well, maybe you think Mr. Houghton's a fine gentleman now, but when that check comes back, you may think different. What do you mean? I mean that Mr. Houghton hasn't any account at that bank and that you're out, just
1: $64.
0: <laughs> the stack of Houghton's bad checks grows higher on Captain Thomason's desk in the Bunco Detail Office. The Hotel Men's Association and the Merchant's Protective Association are warned to look out for the man. Maug and Williams develop another angle of the case when they discover that Houghton has been trading on the air-mindedness of young boys, posing as an aeronautical inspector for the Department of Commerce and promising to make them licensed pilots, but in the meantime using their identification to cash worthless checks. It is this strange desire to impress boys of high school age that proves his undoing for he's attempting to interest a couple of students at Aeronautical School on Sloth Boulevard when his erstwhile host, Mr. Baldwin, drops in to pass the time of day with the head of the school, who's an old friend. Well, Ernie, how's the aviation school business? Yeah, fine and dandy, Bob. How's things with you? (laughs) I can't complain. Life's a little brighter since we got rid of that fake Virginia gentleman who was living off of it. (laughs) That was a funny case. If any, I've laughed over it many times. I'll tell you this much. It was almost worth the 50 bucks he swindled us out of to be rid of him. Yeah, I bet it was. Never in my life have I seen a man with more brass nerve than that fellow had.
1: Danny.
0: What? There he is. Oh, where? Houghton. There he is out there in the shop talking to those two students. Are you sure? Absolutely. Come on, he's not going to get away from me this time. Uncle detail, Morg speaking. Lieutenant, this is Baldwin speaking. You remember me, the man who entertained Houghton? Yes, of course I do. We've got our man. You have? Where? Out of the Pacific College of Aviation on Slaughter. Hurry up out here. You bet I will. Right this way, Lieutenant. We've got him locked in this office. Sure he's the right guy? Of course I'm sure. No one ever swindled me out of $50 that I couldn't remember the next time I saw him. Just a minute until I unlock the door. There we are. Well, Mr. Houghton, or whatever your name is, you're under arrest, huh? Oh. (laughs) All right. I suppose we dispense with the formalities and get down to brass tacks, or (laughs) rather, in this case, handcuffs. Let him on, Lieutenant. The game is up, eh, gentlemen? That isn't worth it. I've certainly had one hell of a good time at your expense. (laughs) We voluntarily released our prisoner to federal authorities for prosecution on the charge of impersonating a federal officer. And for this violation of the law, he was sentenced to the federal prison at McNeil Island for two years. At the completion of that term, he was taken to New York, prosecuted for violation of the Passport Act, and sentenced to two more more years in the federal penitentiary at Atlanta. While this term was served, he was deported to Hungary. And if he ever enters the United States again, he will face prosecution by the government for violation of the immigration law. Thank you, Captain Wallace. When you buy Rio Grande cracked gasoline, remember, although good gasoline is essential to the proper performance of your car, the life of your motor depends upon the oil that you use. You all know what petroleum jelly is. You know how thick it is when cold, but how thin and watery when hot. Most all oil oils contain this petroleum jelly because it is a costly process to remove it. It necessitates chilling the oil down to 60 degrees below zero. Sinclair oils are also de waxed, removing the gummy properties in crude oil that clog the spaces between the piston and the cylinder walls. Now you may buy either Sinclair Pennsylvania. Made from Pennsylvania's highest priced crude oil at 30 cents a quart, or Sinclair Opaline made from Mid Continent's oldest crude oil at only 25 cents per quart. Remember, Sinclair Opaline is made from Mid Continent crude oil, which is much superior to our Western oil. Sold only in tamper proof, extra major cans at only 25 cents per quart at all Rio Grande stations. sent in all cars, cancelation brass 40, regarding a bunco artist, Suspect is now in custody, and that's all. Rolls and Christmas.